God is here with us today. Amen? Amen. This is a holy place. This building, the ground that the church is built upon, you and I, we are holy. God is here with us today. I want to thank <clears throat> Pastor Ike for inviting me to help preach this series on the book of Acts. I love this book. What's not to love about this book? There's, there's resurrections. Uh, resurrections from the dead, there's jailbreaks, there's murder, secret plots, huge arguments, shipwrecks. I tell you, it's almost better than watching cable TV. It's that good. I also want to thank Ike for giving me this passage of scripture to preach on. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. One of the more difficult passages to preach on in this book. It's a passage that many pastors try to avoid preaching on lest they offend their people. In the preaching circles, this passage is known as the pastor killer because it's the one sermon that could get you fired. So again, thank you, Pastor Ike. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we know you're here with us and we say thank you for your love, for your grace and for your mercy. I believe, Lord, that you have some divine appointments here today with us. And we're here to, to keep those appointments. We may not even know it quite yet, but by the end of the service, we sure will. And Lord, I humbly, in fear and with trembling, I, I, I come to this pulpit to preach your holy word. Not because I am worthy of anything. I just come as a willing servant, a vessel, that the Holy Spirit can and will work through me to teach and to, and to lead us to where you want us to go. We give all glory and honor to you. In your name we do pray. Amen. So let's just quickly recap what's been happening to this point in the life of the early church. So we, we, Jesus died. Disciples ran away scared. Jesus rose from the dead, and he appeased for many. Um, many don't believe it's really him. Others are, are in hiding, fearing for their lives. Next, Jesus ascends into heaven, but not before leaving behind a few words. Go and make disciples. And I'm going to give you a gift. Uh, power of the Holy Spirit. God living in you. You'll do great things, many great things, in the name of the Holy Spirit Scared disciples now become bold disciples. They're standing up for themselves, and more importantly, standing up for the name of Jesus. Miracles occur. People get converted. More miracles. Persecution. More people get converted. Christians start meeting in homes. They're teaching each other. They're fellowshipping together. They're praying, and then they're going out and making disciples. More people get converted. Those in authority, the Romans and the Jewish leaders... They don't like these Christians, and they try to jail and kill them. More people get converted as more miracles occur. Christians start looking after people, caring for those in need. The Christians begin operating under the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're doing some amazing and great things for the glory of God. Which brings us to Acts chapter 4. And if you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Uh, verse 34, as we give a little background to our text today. Acts chapter 4, verse 34 says this, There are no needy persons among them, 
From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So believers, followers of Jesus, had taken to the practice of occasionally, from time to time, selling off their land or their homes, or their timeshares, if you will, their cars, their boats, whatever, and they are giving the proceeds of those sales to the church, laying the money at the feet of the apostles. This money wasn't for the apostles. This was not the apostles' paychecks, okay? The money was distributed to anyone who was in need. Anyone. Not just Christians. And one person in particular is drawn to our attention. Joseph, a Levite also known as Barnabas. And we're told he sold a field that he owned and he gave the money to the church. He's given the nickname Son of Encouragement, which which he was to both Peter and Paul later in this book. And perhaps because of his honest generosity here, he is later chosen by the saints in Antioch to be the one to carry a generous gift to the needy saints in Jerusalem. And we'll come to that when we get to Acts chapter 11. Joseph or Barnabas was obviously well known and was highly regarded and thought of in good light. Which brings us to our passage of Scripture today, our text, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will also carry you out. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came forward, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. There are some conclusions that we could make a few lessons, perhaps, that we could draw out of this passage, some more accurate than others. For instance, um, one lesson um, is we could begin by saying that the passage is teaching us that if you lie, 
you'll be struck down by the living God. Dead. On the spot. As a doornail. Now wouldn't that serve as a great motivator for our kids in teaching them not to lie? Can, can you just see that? Now Johnny, don't lie to me about who broke the window. You're going to make Jesus cry and he's going to kill you. That's a great motivation tool right there. Or we could say the lesson is that if you don't give everything to the church, you'll be struck down by the living God, dead, on the spot, as a doornail. Now, wouldn't that be a great motivating tool for the pastors of this church in teaching you about tithing? You just hear Pastor Ike now at the next annual general meeting. Well, ladies and gentlemen, sorry to tell you, we've come up quite short on our annual budget this year. Some of you, um, you have not been giving to the church. You're making Jesus cry, and he's going to kill you. Great motivating tool. The problem is, neither of those are the real lessons that we can or should draw from this passage of Scripture, no matter how we may want it to. Sadly, or I should say more painfully, I think, the real lesson we should draw from this passage is going to hit a lot closer to home for us than we're going to like. It's going to be uncomfortable. So again, thanks, Pastor Ike. I appreciate it. Ananias and Sapphira were two people who belonged to the church. And they saw what others were doing. They saw what Barnabas did. And they decided they wanted to do the very same thing, kind of. They agreed, as husband and wife, that they would sell a piece of their property and to give the money to the church. However, they also agreed to hold back some of that money, to not give it all. They would tell the church they got X number of shekels for the land, when in reality they got Y number of shekels for the land. And then they would pocket the difference. Well, so what, really? It, it's, it's their property to sell. It was their money to keep. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that they lied. And they lied for a very horrible reason. The real crime in this text was not that they kept back some of the money. The crime was that they had lied about it. It was a conspiracy of deception. They chose to be deceitful. They chose to tell the church they're giving it all, when in reality, they only gave a portion. But for what purpose? For what ends? Well, I believe they wanted to look more spiritual in the eyes of others. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be seen as, seen as preeminent disciples, to be as good as Barnabas was. But the truth of their actions betrayed the fact that they were not really that good after all. They wanted the credit and the prestige for sacrificial generosity without the inconvenience of sacrificial generosity. In order to gain a reputation like Barnabas had, a reputation they had no right to, they told a brazen lie. 
Their motive in giving was not to relieve the poor. Their motive was to fatten their own ego. This lie they told. It was a sin of hypocrisy. A sin of hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, my friends, is a destructive force within the community of God's people. It was then, and it still is now. If Satan cannot destroy the church from without, he will attempt to destroy it from within. And he uses our own hypocrisy as tools for his work. The great theologian John Stott wrote that Ananias and Sapphira, they weren't so much misers as they were thieves. Because by holding back the money they had promised to give, they were stealing from the poor. They had promised to give the money to the poor. But they didn't give it all. So they were stealing, in effect, from the poor. They were hypocrites. Hypocrites comes from a word which means to act apart as if on a stage. The hypocrite then is a play actor, someone pretending to be someone they're not. They're playing a role. Hypocrisy is a deliberate deception, trying to make people think we're more spiritual than we really are. A hypocrite is a person who acts one way on Sunday and they're completely different Monday through Saturday. Ananias and Sapphira, they were hypocrites. And they paid a huge price. They were both struck down dead by the living God. Because God has no room for hypocrites in his kingdom. He has no room for hypocrisy in his kingdom. So the correct lesson that we are to draw from these verses is that hypocrisy is never to be tolerated. Never. So how Peter knew that Ananias had lied about the money? Well, we don't really know how he knew that. But we can surmise that there was some kind of divine direction on God's part that he, he, he might have divinely revealed to Peter. Or maybe the sale was a, a public record and Peter simply checked. It doesn't matter how Peter knew that Ananias lied that he knew of his hypocrisy. He just knew, and he knew how God felt about hypocrisy. Did Peter know Ananias was going to be struck down by God? Well, having already witnessed God's power previous in his life in the past, I think it's safe to assume that Peter wasn't too surprised when God took down Ananias. God wanted to deal with this sin of hypocrisy so swift that Ananias didn't even have a chance to repent. Couldn't even utter the words, I'm sorry. God struck him down that quickly. And he did so because hypocrisy is a tool of the devil. Peter said so in verse 3 of our text. He says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Satan was in Ananias' heart. And God knows the trueness of our hearts. See, God knew there was no repentance coming from Ananias. And, and that all sin has consequences. That all sinners need to pay the final price. The people who heard and saw what they saw 
were seized, we're told, with great fear, as they should have been. Because there is no room for what Ananias and Sapphira did in the life of the church. Remember, God was launching something new here. He was launching the church. God was also endorsing the Holy Spirit that was just given at the resurrection and transfiguration and uh, ascension of Jesus. God was also demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit. God was, was confirming the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the early church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. It needs to be pure, spotless, unblemished. So God moves quickly in extinguishing any hint of hypocrisy in the church, lest it infected the whole body. Jesus warns about it in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Which is hypocrisy. The church was a brand new baby. It was in its infancy. God wanted to set before us a sober lesson of the seriousness of this sin amongst his people. He wanted the church to live in holy fear, to be on guard against the serious sin of hypocrisy. Let me give you an analogy. It's a poor analogy. I don't like analogies because they always break down somewhere. But this is my analogy. It's, it's like what a substitute teacher needs to do. Or a brand new teacher teaching a class for the very first time. It's what they need to do when they begin teaching this class. They need to come out hard. They need to set down the ground rules to the kids. They need to make their expectations very clear. They also need to outline the consequences of breaking those rules. Then they need to move swiftly when a student breaks one of those rules. That's what God was doing in the life of the early church. What happened here in Acts, it was one of those occasions when God made an example out of a case in order to fully reveal what he was thinking on the matter of hypocrisy. He hated it. God knew that there was no repentance coming from Ananias. So he made an example out of Ananias for the sake, for the health of the church. And this isn't the first time God did something like this in order to protect something new. He did it long ago in the Old Testament. After the Israelites were given the promised land, God had ordered Joshua, the commander of Israel, to, to go into the land and wipe out anyone who lived in the land who could infect and tempt his people with sin. God also allowed Israel to keep any plunder that they wanted, that they got from winning these battles, except they were not supposed to touch the items that were devoted to the Lord. Those items were to be put in the treasury. Those were the rules. Those were the boundaries. But one man, Achan, he had other ideas. After the battle of Jericho, which you can read about in Joshua 7 if you don't know the story, after the battle of Jericho, Achan kept items that were devoted to the Lord for himself. And he did so knowingly. He hid them underneath his tent 
so that his actions couldn't be found out. He stole and he lied. But God knows our hearts. You can't hide your heart from God. He was a man who claimed to be a follower of God, who said he would fight for God, who would obey and follow the commands of God. Here he was, he's, he's stealing and he's lying. So when Achan's hypocrisy was uncovered, not only was Achan killed, but so were all of his family and all of his belongings were destroyed. That is the seriousness in the sin of hypocrisy. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is hiding. It's the hiding of the things that you do, not because you were not supposed to do them, but because you would be ashamed to have them known where you are known. Now the doing of them is foul, but the hiding of them in order to appear better than you are is fouler still. Another great quote from John Stott. This lesson is for you and it's for me. Ananias and Sapphira were members of the church. They sought to be known and to be seen as preeminent followers of Christ. Their action was not done for the glory of God, but for the glory of themselves. They wanted to appear to others as though they were more spiritual than they really were. They were preoccupied with the external, the external appearances and man's approval, not God's approval. It was for this very reason that our Lord condemned the Pharisees in Luke 16, when he said, you, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of man. But God knows your heart, and it is detestable in God's sight. This lesson is for you, and it's for me. What is your true motivation Is it the work of the Holy Spirit? Or is it the work of an unholy spirit? How many times have we acted deceptively because we wanted others to think we were more spiritual than we really are? God knows your heart. The church isn't a social club. It's not a vehicle we use to climb the social ladder. It's not something we should involve ourselves in as a way to as a way to gain higher acceptance. The church is the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We exist to bring glory to him, not glory to ourselves, for that is the sin of the devil. And every time we live, and every time we act, and every time we think, and every time we speak in a hypocritical way, we are doing the work of the devil. And the work of the devil is to destroy the church. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira, they were not fooling anyone. Their false spirituality didn't fool Peter. They didn't fool the rest of the apostles. And they certainly didn't fool God. So who do we think we're fooling? What's hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is saying that you read your Bible 
but you don't. Hypocrisy is saying that the church is important, but you never attend. Hypocrisy is saying that you tithe, but no money ever reaches the offering plate. Hypocrisy is saying that you love your pastor, but you criticize him or her behind their backs. Hypocrisy is saying you love others while you gossip about them when they're not around. It's saying you will pray for me, or you'll pray for her, or you'll pray for him. But you never do. Hypocrisy is saying you love God, but you fight with other people in your life. It's saying that you need forgiveness, but you are not willing to give forgiveness to others. It's saying that you need grace, but you aren't willing to give it to those in your lives. We aren't fooling anyone. We're not fooling God because he knows our hearts. When Sapphira chose to keep up with their ruse, she too was struck down by God because she was a willing participant in this sin of hypocrisy. When we see our brother or sister, husband or wife, living in hypocrisy, we become a willing participant in their hypocrisy. And we too will be held accountable as much for what we do, but also for what we choose not to do. We cannot stay silent about hypocrisy in the church of God. The church needs to call one another to account for what we say and for what we really do. And to do so in love, wrapped in grace and smothered in mercy. For we are one body. What you do affects me. And what I do affects you. And all of it affects Jesus Christ. You know, I meet with a lot of people who live in the world. They don't hate Jesus. And you're not going to like what I'm going to say next, but they, they don't hate Jesus. The world hates the church. And the reason they say they hate the church, and that breaks my heart knowing this fact, is because they judge us by the level of hypocrisy that they see. We're not fooling anyone. Our mission, remember, is to go and make disciples. But who wants to be a disciple of hypocrisy? God knows our hearts. If Luke wrote the book of Acts to record for us the work of God, the Holy Spirit, amongst the community of believers, he also wants to inform us of a different spirit which is at work in the world and in the church. Our text serves as a warning for us today. Hypocrisy needs to stop. The first century church was not a perfect community, and neither are we. There has never been a time when God's people were perfect. So embrace that. Be okay with that. But we need to be on guard against the work of the unholy spirit. So it's no wonder that our text ends in Acts 5.11 by saying, great fear seized the church and all who heard about these events. To, to fear the Lord doesn't mean to be scared of him. Instead, it's to regard him as being holy and sovereign, to have a healthy respect for his awesomeness and power. Holiness and sovereignty, they demand respect. 
God loves us. And we can love him because of the grace shown through us through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in and awakens our stubborn and sinful ways to know and experience this powerful love. If we are not controlled by the Holy Spirit, if we do not live by faith, then in everything we do, we are only further incurring the wrath of God against us. Only the person who has the Holy Spirit can do the good that God requires us to do. Romans 2 tells us, for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth, follow evil, there will be wrath and anger, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. And this good can only arise out of true faith. It must conform to God's law and it must be done for his glory. Any good done for any other reasons is not truly good at all. That is why Ananias and Sapphira's good work was rejected. And it may be why your good works get rejected as well. This time I'll invite the worship team to come forward. As we conclude, we need to ask ourselves, as we conclude today, we need to ask ourselves, why do I serve? Do I expect something in return? Is this for my benefit or for others? Do I act differently here on Sunday than I do in my home on Monday? What am I doing that I don't want other people to know that I'm doing? Why do I give? Do I try to make myself look better in the eyes of other people? Would I still give to the church if the government took away my right to receive a taxable receipt for my donation? Would I, re would I give less because of that reason? These are good, honest hard questions hypocrisy it arises from our pride it advances with our lies and it slowly destroys the body of Christ hypocrisy is a sin and you need to ask for God's forgiveness now you need to repent now well you have the chance we should all be seers seized with fear for our God is here with us. He is in us and he knows our hearts. As he knew Ananias' heart, a heart that was filled by Satan, his pride led him to lie which led him to his death. Do not let your pride give birth to hypocrisy. Do not let your pride stop you from dealing today with your hypocrisy. Instead, be encouraged by God's holy word to go and do some spiritual work today. Pray. Ask God to forgive you. Seek his grace. Repent. Don't pretend any longer to be someone that you really aren't inside. Own what you need to own. Own who you really are. No more acting. Be vulnerable. Let people know you're hurting, that you're falling short of the glory of God. If you don't read your Bible, don't hide it. Seek help from others who love you. Ask for a spiritual partner to keep you accountable. 
Be honest with others about your struggles. The same goes for you if you don't pray or if you don't tithe or if you're fighting with someone. If you need to give grace or forgiveness to someone. And in return, when those who seek to be real with us come to us, don't give them judgment. Give them love, encouragement, support, and give them your trust. Do not betray their trust. God's holy word says this. 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth.